even if everything changes in our life and everything changes in the world, often many of the most difficult things that we'll experience we have already gone through, not to say that the future doesn't hold challenges, but we've already gone through at least enough challenge to be able to trust hopefully in our capacity to navigate change, turmoil, anxiety, stress, all of it. And change is a very natural and beautiful part of life that if everything were to stay the same, then we would probably actually end up unhappy. And so looking at how in the midst of change, can I trust in myself to navigate it? Trust in myself that even if it's a not ideal change, that I will be okay regardless because I have gotten myself this far and also leaning on support and finding meaning through that. And so support being either a social circle, it can be spiritual, a higher power, just what gives life meaning and can there be purpose found within the change. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Y'all, if there's one thing I know from the last couple of years, change and transition are hard. That's why I'm so excited about this week's episode. Lindsay and I got the chance to sit down with on-site clinical supervisor Ryan Snodgrass for an insightful conversation all about navigating transition and change, and particularly at the start of the new year and on the heels of the last few years. Ryan had so much to offer us in understanding how to make sense of the gap between the image of what we thought our current realities would look like, what they actually look like, and what we actually want. It was a really insightful conversation, and I left feeling so encouraged and empowered. Not to mention that Ryan is incredible, and I loved getting to know her a little bit more and hear parts of her story and how she has leaned into resilience, not only in her own story, but taken it from the clients that she's worked with over the years. So without further ado, meet our friend, Ryan. What is a snapshot of your current season looking like? So we eloped, which was kind of always our dream. Our wedding day itself was so much fun too, but um, ended up eloping in the mountains, which was so fun. And in between Mm. that and our wedding with our family and friends, got pregnant, which is super exciting. And so we're really blessed with that and getting to celebrate the wedding again with the baby. And so seven and a half months pregnant. And also shortly after, I think it was like a week before actually, I found out that I was pregnant. I got a call from Onsite asking me if I'd consider coming to the Oaks. <laughs> and so the season of my life has been constant change where it's yeah. been our marriage. We got pregnant. Wow. We decided that's a great time to start a new job, to move to a new county. We just decided to get a second dog um, to do just all of the things all at once and rip the Band-Aid off. So it's been a season of a lot of change and a lot of I love our saying of trusting the process, very much trusting the process, getting out of my way and just trusting all the signs that come up of really, if I flash forward, what is the life that I want to design and also where's the universe guiding me? That's great. So how has it been? Yeah. All the change management. What is your relationship to change? Have you always sort of sought out change? Um, I, it's been challenging because I, 
I love change, actually. I embrace change and sometimes can feel very stagnant when change isn't happening. But I also really value security at the same time. So I like to have certain Mm. consistence where my job being consistent, I was at my last program for the better part of a decade. I was in my house for quite some time. And so having things that are consistent while everything else is able to change helps me balance that. And so to do it all at once in the midst of being pregnant has been honestly very challenging. And I tend to be a person who I've learned as I age really values control. (laughs) And there's a lot of things I can't control or I can't do myself. And so I've really had to practice asking for help. Hmm. Everything can't be perfect. I can't be the one to put all the things on the wall and unpack all the boxes, like really, really needing to lean on people more than I have in past seasons of Mm -hmm. change. Um, So it's been a a huge growth opportunity. Yeah. I remember, I I feel like in my own story, in my own life, change is like stagnant, 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 and then it's all at once. I just seem to do that in general. I don't know if it's my personality or if that's just life, but we had an interview a couple weeks ago where Dr. Ed Barron talked about the difference between change and transition. And so change is like the event, and then the transition is the time that it takes to reestablish a new normal and reestablish like what that looks like and live into that change. Mm-hmm. And often we can't choose how we navigate the change but we cannot, we can choose how we navigate the transition. Yeah. And that was a good, helpful reframe for me as someone who is also facing a lot of change and transition on the mm-hmm. horizon. But I really resonate a lot with like having some consistent pieces so that you can change around it. What does your career kind of look like in regards to change and transition? Have you, you've been in the helping profession, you said for over a decade, but it, throughout that, like what has been some of the markers of your career? In the therapeutic space, sure. So I've I've been fortunate to do a lot of different things. Prior to becoming a therapist, I was still within the helping profession. I just was really gravitated towards a lot of programs or opportunities, and one would lead into the next. And so I worked at domestic violence shelters. I spent some time working with in Africa and lived there for a little while, and I worked at programs in the US and abroad, mostly focused with um, addiction, complex trauma, community-based healing. And then through grad school, did a lot of research, did some teaching and um, of course therapy before I landed at the Mm -hmm. program I was at before. And then I was the clinical director there for almost seven years. And so helped build that program, build their trauma program. And so there was a lot of change and opportunity. And and really early in my career, I was just in a place of any opportunity that came my way. I just eagerly really wanted and then landed in a program and a culture that I felt like I could still have that patchwork career and Mm -hmm. do many different things and focus on community and supervision and still do therapy and all of the many beautiful parts of this role um, within one umbrella. And honestly, hadn't anticipated leaving until asked to join OnSite. And I've always loved OnSite and I love my friends that work there. And in being asked to join and really thinking about this season of change and healthy risk was a big part of it, of what is a healthy Mm -hmm. risk and who are the little people that I want to raise, what decision makes the most sense with that in mind. And it was just very, very clear. And I'm so grateful to have made that transition. So now I'm at a place in my career where I still enjoy 
getting to dabble in all the many different things, but really settling in and building and growing with and for self in a program. Hmm. I love that. One of the things I was wondering about when you were talking about all the change and some of the difficulty managing it was just what are sort of, you talked about getting more confident in asking for help, mm-hmm. <laughs> which that totally resonates with me. But so much of like, as you guide clients through transition and change, I imagine people come to you a lot for that, find therapy a lot in the seasons of kind of upheaval of their life. I know I sort of went back to therapy last week for the first time had been in a season and it was really about, I've got a lot of change on the horizon and I was realizing I had anxiety around it that I was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how I could like sort of untangle some of where my anxiety is coming from. But I was curious, like what are sort of practical things that you work with clients around change and things that can kind of help guide people to feel grounded in themselves, Mm -hmm. even when their world around them and their circumstances are changing? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. There's a lot of things and it completely depends on the person, but what comes to mind first is really tapping into our own innate sense of resilience. And so even if everything changes in our life and everything changes in the world, often many of the most difficult things that we'll experience we have already gone through, not to say that the future doesn't hold challenges, but we've already gone through at least enough challenge to be able to trust, hopefully, in our capacity to navigate change, turmoil, anxiety, stress, all of it. And change is a very natural and beautiful part of life that if everything were to stay the same, then we would probably actually end up unhappy. And so looking at how in the midst of change, can I trust in myself to navigate it, trust in myself that even if it's a not ideal change, that I will be okay regardless, because I have gotten myself this far. And also leaning on support and finding meaning through that. And so support being either a social circle, it can be spiritual, a higher power, just what gives life meaning. And can there be purpose found within the change where there may be something, and it doesn't mean that the change is good. It doesn't mean that it's bad, but given that life evolves constantly, is there some meaning that I can make out of this? So at least whatever anxiety I'm feeling right now doesn't go in vain. Yeah, Mm. that makes sense. I think that's such a normalizing view of it to just say like, okay, uh, how do I take what I'm feeling now and not let it be in vain and also use it in the future when I go through another situation where I'm going to need to pull on the resilience that I'm building in this season. I feel like the last couple of years, and I'm so tired of saying this, but it's really tested a lot of our resilience it's tested our understanding of ourselves. We all were thrust into a lot of change. And I think I've noticed a pattern in my own self is just to like kind of walk away from that and be like, yep, the pandemic brought us all the change. Now I'm just trying to go back to whatever it was before. But that that reality doesn't exist anymore, right? Like we've walked through and there's so much change. And so what is the importance of kind of in this season where a lot of us feel like we've kind of come out of the change, but also haven't maybe reckoned with it and are still kind of coping with some of the things that happened in the pandemic that we weren't able to process. Um, And I know that's something that's been coming up for you. You mentioned that to me and I would just love Mm -hmm. to kind of explore like, what does that look like for a lot of us? And what are you seeing with your clients 
who maybe didn't process what that change did to them in that season. Mm-hmm. So a couple things come to mind. So I'm going to bounce around just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I love that. Um, I reference Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning a lot, the difference between yeah. pain and suffering, and that we can find a lot of meaning in the pain that we go through. And mm-hmm. it can take a very spiritual approach, but that not that we're grateful for the things that are happening, not that we wish them upon another person, but that the way that we ourselves have shown our resilience, our strength, and our way to navigate through it, that is something that we can be proud of. Mm-hmm. And we grow as a person through all of the good, bad, and in between that we experience. And so even in what has happened in the past few years, there's this growth that has occurred for a lot of people in the midst of really ambiguous loss. And Mm. it's hard to recognize how much loss really happened when it's things that you don't really consider as being um, even a gift. It's more just something that exists, like being able to go work out or drop your kids off at school, um, socializing. There's so much that comes with that. And I read a book um, years ago about parenting and just the images that we create about not only the life for our children, but the life that we want to have for ourselves. And when the image of the life that we want to have shifts, we experience a lot of grief, but don't recognize it as grief. And so if Mm. I anticipate that in 2020, I'm going to start this new job and go in and make new friends and have this experience that suddenly is taken away, we don't often honor that grieving process because it's not something that we actually tangibly had. But yeah. it's something that we were very emotionally drawn to. And so there's not only this loss of our normal way of going through life, but there was this really immense loss of the image of what we thought life was supposed to be like, the image of what we thought parenting was supposed to be like, working was supposed to be like, being in a new marriage was supposed to be like, all of these different things. But because they weren't tangible, it can be very hard to honor them. And so if we really sit with ourselves and think about what are all the images that we created of what our life was going to be like at that point and where did the road veer a different direction beyond our own control, that can help us honor that there was more loss than we think there was. Mm. And the way that we responded to it was the best that we could in that moment. And that in itself is something to be proud of. And you can't go through either of those two roads and end up the exact same person. And so then there's this reestablishing of, well, who am I now? Mm. What is the life that exists now? And often it, it really demands that we lean on things that may not have been our usual form of support. And so yeah. both being pregnant and going through a pandemic, the ways that I used to self-care, non-existent. <laughs> I did not work out. I did not eat super healthy. I did not do all of the things. And suddenly that was taken away. And so I really had to look at what else can I do to take care of myself because I have been in such a routine that worked for me. And then that routine Mm. was gone. And there were growing pains in figuring out now what can I do? But in the future, when something happens, now being pregnant, and I, again, can't work out and I can't do these things because I don't feel well or I want to eat candy instead of eating a salad, (laughs) then I know that I have more options and there are more images of what it can look like and I can be okay with that because I also just went through a big sudden season of change that was different, Mm. but who I was at the end of it was more resilient and flexible Mm. than who I was before. 
Hey friends, I want to tell you about a brand new free resource we just launched. It's called How to Hack Your Emotional Health and Why You Can't Afford Not To. This resource is going to help you take a good look at your habits and figure out the type of person you want to be. At the start of the new year, many of us make a list of goals and intentions, but we miss the important step of evaluating the daily activities that are required to reach those achievements. Our lives are the sum of our habits. How we spend our time consciously and unconsciously will determine the trajectory of our lives. But the problem is many of us find it really easy to start habits and really difficult to maintain them. In our brand new free mini course, we are going to help you look at what it takes to establish habits that you can actually keep and how they can help you pursue and live into the future you want to live in every area of your life. You can learn more about this free resource and sign up at onsiteisonline.com slash habits. I'm so glad that you brought back up the the idea of like picturing kind of who you want to be or where you want to end up. Because um, when you spoke about it earlier, I had some questions around, I, I noticed myself doing that sometimes. Like, yeah picturing like the mother I want to be or it's so like some of the stuff's so obscure like I'm like I'll like get myself up and go to the farmer's market because I'm like I want to be someone that like shops at a farmer's market and I every time I'm there I like have no idea what to buy I just kind of (laughs) wander around looking lost and I'm like but these are my people you know feeling awkward in the middle of them or like, I want to be like a person that sits on a park bench. Like, I just, it's such a weird thing. But I'm like, just, those people just seem cool. And like, they have time to do that. And how do I become that person? Mm-hmm. And then some of it are like, I want to be like the type of mother that takes my kid to a music festival and like immerses them and culture and, you know, like isn't so bound to routine that I sacrifice my experiences and theirs kind of. And I think what happens sometimes both in the farmer's market example and then the kid at the music festival example is like the reality of those doesn't feel as great as like what I pictured it to be like. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm curious just around the idea of like how we do a good job of sort of visualizing who we want to be and creating a sense of that so that we can build towards it. And then also like not creating like expectations for ourselves or even like choosing things that like look and sound good, but don't feel good. And so I just would love to hear you talk about some about that and how you navigate the visualization process. And I love that point because I think a huge part of it is understanding the origin of the image that we have, because there are a lot of images that we hold for what life is supposed to be like that don't serve us. And some of those images lead to racism and prejudice and Mm. certain ways of existing that are not only harmful to ourselves, but to other people. And then there are ones on a more subtle scale. So something that I was really raised with that I think some people can relate to is being a very kind woman and what that Mm -hmm. means. And it was a very specific way of existing. And it doesn't mean that anyone sat me down and said that you need to be kind and this is exactly what it looks like. But the whole experience of the world led to this feeling of I need to be kind and be in this box. And so my image of what it meant to exist as a woman lived in this box. And 
So to continue with that image really didn't serve me because it actually led to being very passive, very codependent, a lot of caregiving and self-neglect. And so the origin of where this image comes from and is it really serving my most authentic truth or is it fed from an experience that may have existed outside of me? It may be bred from a wound, wherever it comes from can help us get clarity on, on really, is this something that we, we really want to work towards? And so if we sit with something for, and we can try on different images and different roles in different seasons in our life. Mm, yeah. I thought I was going to be at this stage five years ago, definitely has shifted. And again, there's grief whenever that image of what we thought life was supposed to be like shifts, there is grief and there can be an opportunity for peace and excitement and eagerness, but really being able to see the intention, the value system that comes with it. Mm-hmm. it and I've been there. I want, there's a farmer's market down the street from my house. And every weekend I'm like, I'm going to go. And right? I've gone a couple times and mostly I'm like, it's hot outside. My feet hurt. Yes. I just want to go home. But it like looks so cool to be in the farmer's market. And what is it really serving me? I'm not going to buy the food that's there. I'm maybe going to get some steps in and get outside but it doesn't serve me in the way that I think it does. It does serve my image management and the way that I'm presenting myself to the world. And anytime I'm in a role of having to manage who I am with the world or just the person that I see in the mirror and trying to prove to myself that I am someone, it's Mm -hmm. usually not in my best interest. And if I continue down that road long enough, and many of us do, it becomes really challenging. And so we'll kind of notice if we're going towards this life design that is bred by our values and by our most authentic self, even though there's obstacles, it it's an easier route to navigate. Hmm. There's also so much passion behind it or authenticity behind it. And if we're trying to put a round peg in a square hole, it's going to be challenging the entire way and just frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. I feel like you're just kind of talking at me. I'm really appreciating that. I feel like I'm in a therapy session because I am someone who is so future oriented. Like that is the way that I live my life. We all have some kind of orient that we gravitate the most towards and I gravitate towards being future oriented. And so I constantly have a lot of these images of what I think it'll look like or what it, what I want it to look like. I think I've joked that I need to write a book called like quarter life crisis. Like nothing looked like I thought it would, you know, yes. Um, <laughs> But I have been in a season where I'm giving myself a lot of grace to rethink what I want it to look like, because I think that is that is a journey in itself of saying, like, I can recreate what I thought this was going to look like. You know, I never thought I would do X, Y and Z. But actually, like Lindsay was saying, I don't want to go to the farmer's market and being okay with that being the type of person that I am. Or I want to be someone who balances this or what I thought it looked like to be a mother is this. And it's just been a really interesting season that I have found myself in to even give myself grace to say, hey, it's okay if the desires you have changed based on the season or based on your current reality. You know, um, a tangible example is like my husband and I are talking about moving back to Michigan. I never thought I would move and live in Michigan. Never in my life. But I'm giving myself the grace and space to say, hey, that might be the next right thing for me, even if I didn't think that would be where we would lead. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you laying that out in such a kind way because it was no. really permission giving. Completely. And I love that you said grace. I was doing 
LCP some lectures a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we always say our hope for the program. And the hope that I kept saying was grace. And grace because I am also in a stage of I can't do things to the volume that I was able to do when I was not pregnant and not tired. And there are also things that happen at home that take precedence over, you know, the attention or energy level um, early in the morning at work. And so just really, really trying to give myself grace. And in that, and with your example of moving to Michigan, um, really seeing, I think I, I used to see decisions as a life sentence and where if I really chose and invested in something that it meant that it was going to exist forever. And yeah. that is a blessing that I've experienced in the past few years is realizing that I can make a decision and have no idea what that looks like six months from now. And so yeah. now is not forever. And so trusting what makes the most sense now, even if I didn't think I was going to be here, what makes the most sense now, giving myself grace and understanding that the road is going to probably take many different turns in the future as well. Yeah. Lindsay, I think about you and I think about what I know of your story and how I can think of the way it's laid out. It's been like very seasonal. And so I love the idea of seasons, but what have you learned about, I feel like you have very distinct different seasons of your life. It's funny. I, um, and like helping lead a talk that this weekend. And yeah. I was thinking through, I'm going to try to do some experiential stuff um, within it, but I was thinking about sort of how I was going to introduce that. And I really thought about like, how do I give titles to different seasons I've been in? It's the thing, the seminars kind of on singleness. And so even just different seasons of my singleness. And it was interesting mm-hmm. to like, think about it and define them because they do feel seasonal. And I wouldn't say that, I've experienced my singleness the same way over the 45 years that I've been single, you know, it's, um, I've had different like learnings and different sort of goals and motivations and different seasons. So I think that my big takeaway in my probably thirties was that life is not linear, (laughs) you know, it's like that any pictures that I'm making that far out of, you know, what life is going to be like are harder to actualize that it's sort of, it's zigzaggy and it's fun to look backwards for me more than Mm -hmm. sort of looking forwards and planning ahead Mm -hmm. is like, Oh, look at how these things have played together and uh, just the threads that have carried through life and Mm -hmm. things like that. But sort of in I'm not a great goal setter in terms of like, this is where I want to be in 10 years because in mm-hmm. my experience, I just, my life hasn't unfolded that way. You know, it's yeah. sort of been very instinctual of like what I'm kind of being led into or what I need mm-hmm. to step away from. And then I've been lucky enough to sort of follow that intuition into the next thing, the next season. And I really, some people don't make decisions that way. And like life does feel more like they're working a plan. Yeah. But for me, that it definitely has felt like, what am I being led into and trusting my gut a lot in terms of the seasons that I'm stepping into? But I loved what Ryan had to say earlier about even that picture piece when you were talking mm-hmm. about how to do that well you know, one of the pictures that I had as a young child was we, we used to all play that game MASH, you know, uh-huh. did, y'all, yeah. did y'all play that? Yeah. Or am I dating myself? 
where you'd like choose what kind of house you lived in and you name like four different types of housing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Number of kids, husband's name. Your car. Um, yeah. yeah. The cars. <laughs> and then, you know, it would like fate would tell you like who you'd marry and how many kids you'd have. And you're like, oh, th- my life is going to be on this piece of paper somehow. Like I might mm-hmm. be choosing between an apartment and a house or a mansion, but yeah. I'm like going to be married and I'm going to have kids, you know, was, was sort of the, always the the takeaway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so being single that I really had to sort of evaluate that picture of Mm -hmm. like, what has not, you know, like what does reality look like compared to this picture I've held for a long time. And I think the work of grieving the picture in my mind of what my life was going to look like. I was going to, you know, get married at 28 and have kids, you know, my thirties and the, the, the work of grieving that was the biggest gift to myself because then Mm. I could start to create new pictures and um, begin to wrap my head around, okay, like this is where I am. What do I want? What do I, how do I use this time and the season? Well, I love that. I, I think there's so much to gain, especially And young me hearing this from parents or anyone would have completely rebelled against it. But looking back at your life and all of the threads, like you said, that have tied together into the places that were led, that can also help that just trusting in the seasons and the changes of everything has somehow led to the next thing or fueled into something else in a positive way. And I was sharing this with Mackenzie briefly, but I really love role models for anything, mm-hmm. anything you can think of, I hope there's a role model in the world for it, including singleness, because a lot of that idea and even that whole game, like we all played that as kids that yep. you're going to live in a mansion with 500 children and marry someone named Steve. And <laughs> right. that's such a, also very heteronormative, but <laughs> yes. a very specific view of what life is supposed to be like. And so the idea of singleness isn't even thought of, or it's thought of in such a negative way. And it can be such a liberating experience and Mm. so enriching outside of an intimate relationship in that capacity. There's still intimate relationships, but I think it's beautiful that you share about your story, the grief and the glory that comes with it. And by doing that and having a workshop on it, you are also a role model that can Mm. change this paradigm from all the little people playing mash (laughs) to (laughs) actually it doesn't exist on paper. It can look like anything you absolutely want it to look like within your control, but there's just so much freedom in that. Yeah. It's really interesting being single and aware of, you know, like how friends or colleagues talk about, their baby or young children, like their partners that they're going to marry someday and all these things. And you're like, you're making a lot of leaps, you know, for, for this person, (laughs) you know, like that, that could be their future, but they could have another one, you know? 100%. I, we had a moment and we've had many of these moments with my son where someone will say like, Oh, he just started preschool recently. And this is a great example. And I went to pick him up and all the kids came over and hugged him. And this little girl was telling me that they were holding hands that day and she was going to miss him. They're three and a half and they were holding hands. No big deal. And so I tell this story and the people who hear it are like, oh, he's going to have all the ladies when he grows up. And it's like, well, what if he doesn't want all the ladies? Like, what if he, like, let's not put that out there, but they're so, and it's so well-intentioned, but these really well-intentioned 
but very framed statements of now my image for your life is that you are Mm. going to be a ladies man and everything that comes with that, that then that's where often caregivers and parents can also feel grief is now I've created this image Mm -hmm. as well. I want to walk my child down the aisle and this is what I picture that looking like. And it's really hard to reconcile that that's not the reality because here's an independent person also navigating the world and figuring out who they are. And so the more we can be mindful of, especially not only with children, but anyone in a season of figuring out who they are in self-discovery yeah, which is always. <laughs> yeah. on, yes, like what expectations we're putting on people. Uh, um, it, I think it would just give people more liberty to actually yeah. figure out who the heck we all are. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard. I mean, I, I'm just acknowledging that I struggle with this for myself and for other people. And, oh, you know, me. it's it's, it's so sure. unconscious, subconscious, mm-hmm. bec- and so ingrained. And so, yeah, like... Mm-hmm hoping that I can continue to widen my lens. Yeah, expansive has been the word that I've been thinking. But even what I was thinking, Ryan, is when you shared that example about your son, of like him being the ladies' man, then you're giving him this lens or this thing that he has to then, you were saying, where is this voice coming from? I I can't remember the language you used, but you were unraveling, like where did the nice girl image come from? What's the source of it? Was it me or was it something external? Was it a caregiver telling me this is what, I was supposed to like live into. And it just feels like a really weighty responsibility for myself, but also mm-hmm. then to be in a parenting role to be like, okay, how do I navigate this? Well, if I'm not navigating the expectations and the images and giving myself the space and room to grow and grieve and find the glory on the other side of that, how do I model it well for a kid? So mm-hmm. I'm also just acknowledging that feels really weighty and a yeah. big responsibility. Yeah. And so I, prior to us, deciding to have a, a child, we both did a, and still do a lot of our own work. And I did a lot of work on what it means to be a mom, my own experiences growing up, and really the person that I wanted to be in preparation for that. And a big thing that, because I am by no means perfect and will never be, but something that I keep coming back to is just the ability to repair and to not mm. have it all right but to not pretend like I have it all right. And so um, I did a lot of psychodrama myself and and writing about this and just the ability, again, with resilience to be able to have conversations about things because I'll find myself um, saying even to my son when, you know, he says something, when he tells you that you smell bad before he says hi to you or whatever it is. And I say, we have to be nice. And he'll say, I'll be nice. And then I think about the messages that exist in my mind around kindness. And I'm like, well, I need to reframe that. You are nice. And we want to do Mm. nice things or treat other people nicely. And that's different. A three and a half year old can't understand that. And so that's something that is on my mind to keep revisiting of reaffirming that you are a nice person and our behavior is something different and doesn't define us does not mean that I get it all right. And sometimes I'm like, be nice. Um, But just remembering that repair is almost always possible. And so we can at least have these conversations that many Mm -hmm. of us may not have been able to have. And I think that's a blessing of not only this field, but kind of the change in the paradigm and culture right now is, is really opening up more conversations for all people and younger people than Mm -hmm 
I think we were really all having beforehand. Yeah. Because yeah. it can feel weighty. Yeah. I find myself like analyzing all of these things that I say and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what would I tell yeah. someone? Because <laughs> I need to do that. I would tell someone that it's okay to be imperfect mm-hmm. and to intentionally have conversations that give clarity and repair when it's needed. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That's really good. You mentioned kind of early on the work you did with AIDS clients in Africa. And I was curious just what threads you pulled sort of mm-hmm. out of that time into like who you are. Yeah, um, that was probably the most impactful time in my life. So I worked in a few different places. The place I worked predominantly was in Kenya, in Gong, Kenya, which is a slum village. And we did a lot of different things there. So women and children who had contracted HIV through human trafficking, we did some empowerment groups for them, pseudotherapy. We would teach them different skills so that they would have resources um, to sustain themselves, worked with the children, helped get them medications, et cetera. So there are two things that I really took away from that experience. One was I was very blessed, and I won't share what the story was, but I was very blessed by a woman who shared with me her story. And Mm -hmm. But from a place not only of gifting me her story, but her resilience through it, when Mm -hmm. it was the most traumatic thing I have ever heard and probably will ever hear. And from hearing that and also the way in which she shared it with me, there has not been a case, a situation that I've come by that dysregulates me. Mm. I was just really, really impacted by the weight of this story, the severity of it, but also with how much beauty and grace she walked through it. And so it's something that I never intend to repeat. It's not my story to share. And also really shaped me in terms of the trauma work that I do, because I think that moment alone, aside from anything that I had worked or even experienced myself, really gifted me just a perspective of the many different forms of trauma Mm. that exist in the world. But also when something that is, in my opinion, the most severe thing that I've ever heard, for someone to say it with such positivity and resilience was just absolutely astounding. And so I really deeply believe that whatever someone goes through, they can 100% go through. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, and with that, a big part of that healing being community. And so mm-hmm. in Kenya, there isn't specifically like an expert model like there is in Western culture. And so we yeah. really have this idea of I have depression and I go see a therapist. I have a broken bone and I go see a doctor. There's always a person that I need to see for this thing because I myself need the help to do it. And it's this one person that holds the power. But when it comes to emotional and mental health, it can't be this one person that holds the power when it's something more internal. It's not someone writing Hmm. me a prescription. I don't have a client that comes in and I say every person with anxiety, it looks the exact same path for your healing. It's eliciting what they already have. 
And so the way that we would navigate healing with them and what they really taught us to do was community healing, that we have all been wounded, even if one person is hurt. And so together we have to heal. And there's a lot of cultures who do this, who do um, like community parenting or they do community-based healing. And I deeply believe in that, which is why I love that we use guides. We don't use therapists. We don't have this expert model is because I don't believe in the expert. I might've gone to school. I have some letters after my name. I am by no means an expert in being human. (laughs) I am no by means an expert in the other person sitting across from me, but they are the expert in themselves. And people say that a lot, but really understanding that they have a deep knowing it's Mm -hmm. getting to that place of knowing and trusting And then also as a community, how can we heal? And so really wanting to help people lean on the support that can exist around them or cultivate that support. And then through their own healing, these ripple effects that can change the world. Yeah. And so that has really been the foundation for a lot of my work and even my life of I'm not the expert in anything And a lot of times things go a lot better when I get out of my own way (laughs) or I let people come in. And so we Mm -hmm. exist in community and in relationship. And yet we tend to want one person to fix this thing within us that contradicts our nature when our nature is that connection and that community. And so those two pieces really, really shaped not only me as a therapist, but who I am as a person. Yeah, I can Mm -hmm. hear that. I love it. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said like hearing her story kind of opened up uh, your path to work with people with trauma, because I think looking over your experiences, I feel like you've gravitated towards helping people reconcile with trauma and kind of get into Mm -hmm. their stories with them. And I wondered like, how have you taken care of yourself in that? How have you been able to sustain that for as long as you have? And I love the roots of that, of understanding it's not just on you as the expert to hold Mm -hmm. all of that but bringing in community and understanding that and also just always relaying back to the resiliency. And I think that's uh, just to add to it, because you said a piece Mm -hmm. of it, you know, we always talk about self-care and not taking work home and, and all of that. And I think the reason, not that I'm, you know, unimpacted by anything, Mm -hmm. but I think the reason that I've been able to navigate it well is because I, it's not my story. I am present. I bear witness. I hope to help elicit parts of people that I can see because I have a different vantage point. Um, But by no means is the story or the outcome dependent on me. And Mm. so I've been able to really separate myself from a lot of the weight and heaviness that can come up that I think is really gifting. And I try to do that in my own life too. And that can be harder when it feels very personal. And I have to remind myself that even things that feel personal sometimes are very impersonal and not about me. Um, yeah. But really being able to sit in a place of, of recognizing what is mine and what's not. And what I thought was mine for many years was much grander mm-hmm. than <laughs> what really is. That's really good. Um, I would love to just kind of, as we run out this conversation, land on that community piece. You talked a lot about community-based healing, and that's something that you incorporate even before at OnSite, and now that's a big part of the model that we provide for healing. Um, what would be your encouragement for someone who feels a little apprehensive leaning into that type of community or that type of healing or just feels apprehensive around community and building the support systems that you were talking about? Uh, what would just be your encouragement for someone? 
I would start with a reminder. <laughs> and this is something I, I do say to folks that often when we look at, and I'll use a kid as an example, when we look at a child, we would never tell a child to not make friends. <laughs> we would never tell them that they are born unworthy or unvaluable. And yet we can say that so easily and so readily for the rest of the world and really struggle to say that to ourselves. So it's a reminder mm. of if everyone else, then why not me as well? And really giving ourselves permission despite hesitation, embarrassment, shame, whatever emotion in the rainbow it might be to embrace an opportunity to connect. Again, yeah. knowing that a decision in this moment doesn't mean forever, but we can sample something on and at least see how it matches for us. Hmm. Because there is such a blessing in community when, again, we can get out of our own way. Mm, that's really good. I love that you brought it back to trying it on and giving ourselves Just trying it on. Just trying it on. Oh, Ryan, this has been so good. And I had so many questions that I wanted to ask you about that we didn't even get to. Um, but I'm just so grateful for where this conversation went. I feel like it's going to meet a lot of people where we're at. Uh, change and transition and leaning into community. I think those are all things that we need yeah, right now. Yeah, we all need sure. it. We may be hesitant for it, but we need it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Yes. This is so fun. Such a good, it's always such a good excuse to get to know people better. Than I know. Yes. I love it. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.